Welcome to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast, where I interview some of the best coaches in the business to find their secrets and share them with the world. I'm Scott Ritzheimer, founder and CEO of Scale Architects, and we help founders and leaders find the right coach at the right time so they can achieve the predictable success they deserve. And a huge part of that is helping great coaches do great work that creates enormous demand for their services with way less effort. If you're a high demand coach, I'd absolutely love to share your story and expertise as well. So stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. Hello, hello, and welcome. Welcome once again to the Secrets of the High Demand Coach podcast. And I am here with an exceptionally high demand coach, and that is Miss Terry Reckman. She's the founder and CEO of High Impact Growth Oriented Leaders, or High Goal, I guess is how you'd say it. You'll have to help me with that, Terry. But Terry and her team help nonprofit leaders increase their revenue and their community impact by an average of 50% within 12 months of working together, which is astounding. I've done a lot of work in the nonprofit space, and I cannot tell you how impressive that is. Uh, Terry's worked within the nonprofit uh, sector for over 30 years, including five years as an executive director herself. She understands the leadership challenges and has been a strategic advisor and consultant to executive directors and CEOs throughout the United States as they grow their organizations, teams, and board of directors. Well, Terry, I'm so excited to have you here. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I love getting to speak back into the nonprofit space. Here at Scale Architects, about half of what we do is in the for-profit world and about half is in the nonprofit world, which is uh, a little bit weird, a little bit unique, but it's a lot of fun. And one of the things uh, that that uh, just jumped out to me was just the, the wealth of experience you have in this space. And I was wondering if we could start with your story. Tell us a little bit about what you were doing before uh, you started working um, uh, in the space and uh, how that led to uh, this, this journey with high-impact growth-oriented leaders. Yeah, thank you, Scott. I'm so happy to be here. I really appreciate the invitation. Um, so the, my company will be 10 years old um, this year, wow. <laughs> actually. I Yeah, I, I really can't quite believe that myself. It's gone so fast. And I honestly tell people it took me five years to figure out what the heck I was doing. So I feel like I've really only been this is five years. Um, but... 10 years ago, um, I was uh, an executive director in a pretty high pressure position and felt after five years of being there that I was burning out. Um, And I just needed, I needed a break. And so I left that position very deliberately, not knowing what the next thing was, because I felt like if I just rolled into another CEO or executive director or position, I would just recreate the world I, I left and had burned out of. Um, and so I was, I, I have a relationship with an organization in California, a long time relationship. And I went back there to do a retreat, a spiritual retreat. And um, at that time, 
there was a, um, a change going on within part of that organization. They have a publishing company and they had a new director who wanted to do some consulting with the books that they were publishing, like to make those books more come to life. And mm-hmm. um, those books really were about work and how to really bring your whole being into work. And I had found in my career that that training just to have been so incredibly helpful in increasing my mind capacity. Yeah. Like I, I didn't really have trouble with the technical parts. Like, you know, in, in Western countries, we have access to so much technical information, right? What's really challenging is being able to manage our own minds and lead our own minds. Um, and so I was like, wow, this is really cool. I would love to get involved with this. Could I, could I help you? Could we work together? They were in California. I was in North Carolina, but he still said yes. And so, um, we worked together, um, doing consulting work for about eight years. And that's really, they trained me. Um, what was interesting, what, you know, we had, there were three of us and then one person left and, you know, when you've got three, it seems to be sort of a bit of a magic number. And then one leaves and it's sort of like the stool now is something's missing. Yeah. Um, and we both realized this wasn't working. Um, but I needed, I wanted to continue the work. And the other person just had a lot of other responsibilities and interests, honestly. And so he said, you know, start your own business. And so that's, that was the genesis of it. Wow. Wow. So fast forward, uh, you're, you're uh, working with executive directors and leaders in nonprofit organizations. And I mean, just achieving tremendous results with them. What would you say some of the most important work you're doing with your clients right now? I think, you know, some of the most important work is when we can engage over longer periods of time. Um, mm-hmm. Because then you just, you have the time to like fully implement, right? The changes and what you're doing. So we're in the middle of a, an 18 month project now with an organization has a new CEO. She's been there a couple of years, very, very different than the founder CEO that retired. And so she wanted to entertain a different kind of strategic planning process. It was much more engaged really engaged her stakeholders and her team in really entirely new ways. But, you know, part of the explicit goal was to help them break down their silos and be able to measure their work in new ways, as well as get clear about what they wanted to create in the future. Um, So we've just completed that plan. That was about a six-month process. And now we're into the implementation for the next year. Um, And I can just see it was just tremendous value to having that engagement over a longer period of time. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. There's, there's definitely something to be said about that. It's interesting. Um, We were, uh, we were talking with a doctor about uh, something for my son and we had been to another doctor six, seven years ago. And uh, the current doctor said something that really struck me. Um, as remarkable and and pertains to what you said. And he said, you know, folks will go from one doctor to the next to the next if they don't get an answer. But oftentimes Mm. the best answers come when you come back to the same doctor six months later. 
fascinating, right? Uh, now that's really hard to do because you go to someone and they have no idea. And, you know, the chances of you going back are very slim. You know, they're not going to have any idea again. But there, we have this tendency now. It's almost cancel culture, right? Like if you don't check every box and give me this whiz bang new idea, like I'm moving on to the next thing, right? It's kind of microwave mentality and all that we're doing. So, what mm. is it about? Um, you know, from from your side of things, what is it about that longevity that's so different from coming in and trying to transform everything overnight? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, it doesn't usually work overnight. You know, occasionally the stars are aligned, so it can happen really fast, but it, it usually doesn't, right? Mm. So I think that's that's the first thing that leaders need to understand, if you're if you're really going for a change process, you know, you have to invest the time. And I, I don't want to waste time. I don't want to stall. But you, it, it requires time. We're talking about human beings. We're not talking about machines or bots or something, right? Um, and so if you don't take the time to get people's buy-in into a change process, uh, and, and that's even like coming out of my mouth. It sounds very trite. I mean, that there's a whole process to that, yeah. right? Um, it's not going to work, right? And I mean, like 75% of change processes don't work. People spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on that stuff and yeah. they almost never work. <laughs> yeah. So that, I think that's uh -huh. part of it is the microwave mentality that. You know, just don't waste your time and money. I mean, yeah. if, if you think this is going to happen in a month, it's better not to do anything a lot of times than yeah. to think it's going to happen instantly. That is hard but true advice. You know, people to, to actually live that out. Like if you're not going to commit, especially in a, a larger organization where things are moving, like to get all those cogs spinning in a new direction, it does, it takes time. It takes commitment. And I would, I, I would agree with, I, I think your assessment is so many times, so much of these change uh, management programs fail because we simply don't have the commitment to carry it all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there was a, a bit um, uh, in in your bios. I was reading through it that that really stood out to me, and that is, you know, the uh, what would it be the the seven letter word in the uh, in the nonprofit world of revenue, right? Talking about oh. money, uh, you know that <laughs> that uh, and and a lot of nonprofits really really struggle to have any kind of focus or goals or desires around revenue. Uh, it's it's like this necessary evil almost, right? Uh, and so, what would you say? Um, how should a nonprofit leader, executive director, or someone on the leadership team, what's a healthy way for them to look at revenue? Well, that's what supports your impact, right? I mean, you can't have sustained community impact and change without the revenue to support it. Mm. Um, and, you know, I agree. People are, are very shy about setting financial goals. I think in part because they're just haven't built that muscle yet, you know, uh, because like, as you say, in many nonprofit cultures, it's, you know, the people are first, like we like to tell ourselves that. And I, I am very people centric because I understand how human beings have, and especially in this space, that's such a vast influence over what happens. It's very important to work from a human perspective. But come on, these are businesses. 
right? I mean, nonprofit is a tax exempt status. That's all it is, right? It's a, it's a tax status. You know, you want to generate more revenue than expenses so that, you know, unlike a private company where the owner can, can take it out or shareholders, you know, you need to, to pay your shareholders, um, you put it back into the company and you continue to expand your work, right? And take it to the next level. That's incredibly important, though, to be able to do that. Otherwise, what are you doing? Like, yeah. you, why do you really exist if you're not wanting that? Yeah. And that takes revenue. Yeah. It's so true. And and where I found kind of the, the rubber meets the road is is in time allocation. You know, I don't think most people would go out and say, hey, I don't want any money, right? Like no one's going to say, no, oh, you want to give a million that. dollars? Yeah, no, no, don't, don't give me. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't, right? I don't want money. But uh, we also have a tendency not to want to do the work for money, not to sometimes want to ask the questions for money, not to, wanting to dedicate resources to generating revenue. Yeah. And um. And there's this idea that like, well, if we build it, they will come, right? Like if we do great work, then the money's just going to kind of magically appear. Uh, do you see that showing up uh, in your world or in your work? And and how do you help folks overcome that? Um, no, I mean, I think that's a good question. Um, what I find, I mean, we're, we're actually, although I just brought on a consultant, an associate consultant who really has some very good fundraising skills, but we're really not a fundraising consultancy. Um, and what I find is once they've got a really clear vision for what they want to do in the next period, whatever they, that is three, three years, five years, and they start to align their resources behind that, right? Like, and you talked about this in the most recent blog, um, you know, how to get that org chart set up, right? So that the human resources are aligned actually behind and organized behind what you want to do. Yeah. The right people in the right seats with the right skills. Are your finances aligned behind what it is that you want to do? Are your partnerships aligned? And, and this is where it takes work, right? This is the thing that doesn't happen overnight is that alignment, you know, behind this clear shared, when I emphasize shared vision and the board, it's another major thing, right? That yeah. needs alignment. Once that stuff is aligned, I'll tell you, the money almost magically comes wow. because, you know, um, donors, foundations, government, they're like, Ooh, these people have it going on. And they're, the CEO is clearly articulating the direction that they want to take the organization. And then it's like a, it's a business proposition. So this is where we want to go. This is how we're going to get there. And this is what it's going to cost. Do you want to partner with us? Yeah. And, you know, if it's a good fit, the answer is always yes. And if it's not a good fit, that's really good, too, because then you know, okay, wrong partner, right? Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. And it's, it's I, like, I, I want to just pause on that thought for a second. So you're creating this dramatic revenue change for organizations without 
teaching them how to do fundraising, basically, without your focus being fundraising. Like that's that's going to be kind of earth shaking for some folks because they're thinking it's like, you know, we got to pour more gas on the fire. We got to drive this thing harder. But the reality of it is like if you don't have the structure to support it, right? Folks right. are going to see through that. And one of the things that's that's different about nonprofits uh, than you know, oftentimes in the business world is you're working you know, at any kind of scale, you're working with larger donors, you know, more often than not, who, uh, who they get it, like they understand how business works, they wouldn't be in the space that they're it's in if they often didn't, business right? People. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and so they're not afraid of the revenue thing. They're not even afraid of the numbers that you're asking. What right. they're afraid of is what are you going to do when you get it? Can you, but you're going to waste it? it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Can, yeah. Can you handle it? And, and if yeah. you come at that with a sense of like, oh, we don't like money. We don't talk about money. It's just what we need so that we can do this thing, you're confirming that fear, right? Because they're not, they're going to see that and like, okay, do they really have their heads wrapped around how they're going to how they're going to handle this? So yeah, that's a great I, point, Scott. I'd love to just kind of drill into some of the specific things that you're helping uh, folks again, because there's you're having these huge transformations for for organizations you're working with. What would you say are the levers that you're helping them pull that are currently untapped or or untapped before you work with them? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, What comes to mind immediately is the board, right? The board of directors. Most CEOs and executive directors, what I hear is like, you know, when, when they're relaxed and they're like really talking to you, the, the board is a pain in the butt, right? <laughs> I've heard a CEO say to me, I'm really lucky because my board doesn't bother me. I'm like, what? <laughs> that is not a good thing. That is not a good thing. You know, you want a fully engaged board. And I think um, where a lot, of, a lot of CEOs and executive directors you know, what I think the most common thing is that they waste these board meetings where you've got like this, this treasure chest of brain power sitting in a room. And if they were, if you were paying them, it would be an extremely expensive meeting, right? Yes. And they're basically reporting out to them. They're reading reports, like, because they feel like they have to, you know, I need to make sure they know that I'm worth the salary they're paying me and that I'm doing my job. So I'm going to report. What did I do this last month or this last quarter? Oh my God, what a total waste of time for these people. Yes. Like, send them the reports. They know how to read. You know, do not do that in a board meeting. And so it's sort of a, a question of how can you set up a board meeting that's, I, I like to think of it like theater, like it's a production. Yeah. Yeah. And you're finding ways that they can really engage with the with the mission and with the vision and bring to them your honest strategic challenges so that they can open doors for you, so that they can remove those boulders, so that they can bring the resources to bear yeah. that the organization needs to go to the next level. Yeah. Um, so that's one seriously underutilized resource in most nonprofits. And then, I mean, the team is another obvious one, right? Mm. Um, If you have team members that are really not very engaged, you know, they don't really know what, they don't understand their relationship to the vision and where you're trying to go. They treat their job like a to-do list and they're just sort of there getting a paycheck. 
mm, that's not a good situation. That's yeah. not a growth. That's not a, a growth situation, right? Mm. That's like, they're, you know, they even, they become weights even yes. on the organization in the long term. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the board and it's such a great example of, you know, oftentimes I think we overdo the difference between nonprofits and for-profits, right? Mm -hmm. I think you very rightly said, like they're companies, right? They're, they're both organizations trying to achieve goals. What those goals yeah. are is a little different, but you look at different goals between different companies and those are radically different. And one of the areas that I see this a lot is, is like you're saying, uh, you know, uh, CEOs, executive directors, like just despising the board process not the people, but the process of it and treating it like it's this extra thing that I have to deal with. The businesses don't have to deal with, you know, uh, yeah. which, you know, isn't all that true even, but I think what you, you you did was was so there's so much wisdom in it because you're saying, hey, this is a thing that you have. It's not a necessary evil. It is, it, it's a tool it's that asset. you can leverage, right? Yeah. yeah, it's it's one of the most valuable assets inside the organization. And I know, I know, I know that there are people listening that need to hear that because you're right. I, I, and I see this, you know, in, in my work is if we treat the board like you know, it's just this reporting thing that we have to do for legal purposes. We're, we're missing out so much. So, so I, much. Yeah. I love that you brought that up. And it's so good for folks to hear as like, hey, that's an asset that you can leverage it. Right, right in front of you, right? Yeah. It, yeah. It's it's like literally money on the table. And I, I don't mean like, I don't want people treating a board like an ATM machine. I'm not saying that, but it's, it is, it's just such an underutilized resource. Um, and you know, we have a, actually a case study on our, our website that talks about um, an executive director that I interviewed who was just a master at board engagement. Mm. And I, I just want people to hear this because, and it, it, it was, it took him time to really cultivate that board that way. But Scott, he got to the point where annually the board was writing personal checks for $2 million every year. Uh, completely unrestricted money, wow. plus leveraging all this other money out of their companies and their foundations. So, wow. I, yeah, it can it can be like that. It really can. And he he probably spent, I think he said, got to the point where he's spending about half his time with the board. And once he retired, and then he set, he decided to sit on a bunch of boards, which he actually came to regret because. So few CEOs and I work with boards. Yeah. He wished he had spent more than 50% of his wow. time. Like he recognized, I, I still did not fully leverage that thing. Wow. 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 Uh, yeah. The, again, there's just so much in that. Um, I'd love to hear this though. This is a question I like to ask all of my guests. Uh, and, and it's this. What's the biggest secret that you wish wasn't a secret at all? So for everyone listening today, what's that one thing that you you wish every single one of them knew? I think the biggest secret, and maybe, you know, I think they know this. They just don't really know how to solve for it. Um, you know, the CEO position, it doesn't really matter if it's for-profit or non-profit. You are so friggin' isolated in the sense of you have no peers in your organization, right? You got this board you're reporting to, you have all the team members that are reporting up to you. Everybody wants something from you, right? You have no peers. Find a peer group. 
or at least find a way to be around peers at, at whatever, you know, at some like staggered frequency across the year so that you can really be with people that understand your unique perspective and can, you can support each other and you can learn. Like you, you don't have to be an island alone trying to figure this stuff yeah. out. Yeah, I, I could not agree more with that. I remember um, I was running things with my co-founder for several years and he was in the CEO spot. I was in the uh, COO spot and then he stepped out of the operations of the business. And uh, I, I not only kind of lost the daily interactions with him, but mm -hmm. I lost the daily interactions with those who kind of were my peers, right? Uh, There's a little bit of a difference because I was an owner along the way, but uh, I... Uh, there are a few times in my life that I've felt as alone as I did in the early days of of leading that business from the top of the organization because it's it's hard. Like it it seems like it's a cushy job, right? It, it seems like yeah. well, you're not the one doing this or that, or you're you get to make all the decisions. organization, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. you get to have your way, and and it's very difficult to find people who understand the nature of those challenges, right? Who who don't yeah. add kerosene to the fire, right, and make it worse, or who don't just try and blow it off as like you know first world problems or whatever the the CEO version of that statement is, and yeah. and yes, finding. You know, Finding a place where where you can go where folks aren't trying to get something out of you right. is is so so very important. And that was a lesson that took a long time for me to learn when I was leading. Wow! Excellent, excellent. Well, I've got one more question, and then uh, I want I want to know how folks can connect with you because I, I know there's there's some in the audience here that's just absolutely resonating with where they are. They're seeing some of the mistakes they're making, and they know they could do better. But before we get there, I'm going to have you take off your coach, consultant, advisor hat for a moment, put on your CEO hat, executive director hat, and talk to us a little bit uh, about what the next stage of growth looks like for you and your business and, and the challenges that you'll have to overcome to get there. Yeah, thank you. I, um, I think a lot about that. So that is very much top of mind for me. Um, we were really fortunate last year to, um, to double the, the volume of our business. Wow. And I would really like to do it again this year to at least almost double it again. Um, and that's a different business than <laughs> that's a different business than what it was on January 1st. Yeah. I, you know, it's, 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 it's like figuring out how to accelerate without losing your mind. Yeah. And like iterating into a different business kind of on a continuous basis. Uh, so it is, it is a big challenge. It's like finding the right partners, finding the right consultant partners to join the team, finding the right, um, the right clients, right? Not everybody is a good fit for us. Yeah. Um, and when it is a good fit, it's like magic, you know, it's like lighting, uh, you know, uh, it's like lighting a match and watching just like, like, you know, just running because our, what I see is our acceleration helps our clients accelerate as well. Mm -hmm. You know, as we learn, then they're learning from us. So it's, you know, it's a virtuous cycle in yeah. that way. Um, but I think continuing to expand my own mindset and, and coming, overcoming my own fears around growth um, and, just you know being willing to um 
hold myself accountable for that. Those are my biggest challenges. Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's, that is, well, I think you could bottle that up and that's about it for just about every CEO out there. I, I think that's, that is the nature of the challenge right there. How do you scale up without losing yourself, uh, both culturally as an organization and just our sanity, right? As individuals, yeah. it's, uh, cause it's not worth it if it, if it takes that much, but, um, excellent. So how can folks, uh, find more out about your work? How can they get in contact with you? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, our our website is Heigol, H-I-G-O-L dot co, no M on the end. Um, and, you know, for executive directors and CEOs that are, you know, have revenues over $5 million, we do quarterly executive forums. Um, we'll have another one coming up in July. They're complimentary. Um, and it's, uh, you know, probably anywhere from 8 to 15 or 16 folks where we're discussing a specific topic that is unique to senior leadership. And this is one way to get connected, right? To, to sort of a wider space of truly um, your peers and, and we'll walk away very refreshed and with yeah. some new ideas that, you know, they can execute on. Yeah. That, uh, I love that you guys are doing that because it's one of the things in the nonprofit world that I, I don't think has caught on or, or, or given and been given enough credit like it has in the for-profit world. There are a lot more. There's the vestiges and the EO and the YPO. And there's a lot more of that I found in the for-profit world. And, and nonprofits can join those. That's fine. But being alongside other nonprofit executive directors, right? Folks who are operating at the level that you are fighting the same battles that you are doing it uh in the same world that you are that there's there's just something really special about that so if you're an executive yeah. director five million dollars plus you want to grow your organization and you want to do it uh, uh, around like-minded people uh, do not miss this opportunity for the july forum thanks scott Excellent. Excellent. Well, Terry, thank you so much for being on the show. It was just such a pleasure having you here. And for everyone listening, your time and attention really mean the world to us. So thank you for being here. I hope you got as much out of this conversation as I did. And I cannot wait to see you next time. Take care. Scott Ritzheimer here. Thank you so much for listening to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast. If you are a successful coach, consultant, or advisor who's built a strong book of business and would like to be on the program, please visit go.scalearchitects.com. And if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media and just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials? If you know someone who'd be a great guest, you can tag them on social media to let them know about the show. And make sure you include the hashtag high demand coaching. I love seeing your posts. I love seeing your guest suggestions. Thank you so much. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any of those episodes, go ahead and subscribe now. Your thumbs up, your ratings, your reviews, they go a long way to help us promote the show and they mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, you can go to our website, www.scalearchitects.com, or you can follow me or the company on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.